It's better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. You're listening to an audio teaching from Cross Connection Church Houston. We're a small church located in Pasadena, Texas, and it is our mission to save the lost, equip the saved, serve both the lost and saved, and to send the equipped. To this end, we teach through the Bible on a verse-by-verse basis, starting at the beginning of a book and working until the end. If you would like to learn more about our church, you can find us at connectedtojesus.org or check us out on Facebook at Cross Connection Church Houston. We pray that this teaching would grow you in the grace and love of Jesus Christ our Lord. Twenty twenty is almost finished, and it's been a year full of difficulties and hardships and trials. And you know, this is really, if you look in you know just the history of our country, definitely one of uh, the worst in, in recent memory uh, of years. And as we look back on twenty twenty, you know, there are many things that have caused this year to just be so hard and difficult. Things like COVID and the lockdowns and the political turmoil and uh, just the racial unrest and the loss of jobs and you know, all of those things have really caused a huge rise in some very problematic areas. There's a huge rise in depression, in suicide, stress, and anxiety. There's a huge rise in spousal abuse and child abuse, a rise in divorce and family splits and relational breakdowns. We have a, a rise in lack of education or just diminished education, especially among those who are more um, poor. We have a huge rise in substance abuse. And as people are, are stressed out with all that's going on, they're looking to alcohol and to drugs to try to just get an escape. But that has a knock-on effect because it's they go to alcohol and the drugs, it leads to more depression and suicide, and, and those things just start to rise more and more. And, and really, ultimately, as you listen to people share, there's just a rise in hopelessness. You know, a group called the Household Pulse has been doing surveys ever since COVID-19 started, and, and they want to know, like, within the home, you know, what are the impacts of COVID-19 on people? And so they've been doing these surveys, and according to their survey in the month of October, 37% of adults said they felt hopeless more than half of the day in the past week. And, you know, take that for comparison. They said they did a similar survey at the end of 2019, and there were only 19% of adults saying that they felt this feeling of hopelessness. So in 2020, we kind of had this doubling of hopelessness. So it's definitely been a, a difficult and hard year that we've all had to go through. And I'm sure that many of you have suffered from some of the, the negative consequences of things that I've just shared of perhaps you've been struggling more with uh, depression or stress or worry or anxiety. Maybe you've had some family-related problems. Maybe some of your family has gotten COVID or you weren't able to go visit them in the hospital or even worse, when, when people have died and you can't even go and have a proper funeral for them. Them. For some of you, it could be a struggle with a job loss or financial insecurity, or perhaps you know some of you have even had some substance abuse issues, or just a general sense of hopelessness with everything that's going on in our country. And since that's been the year that we have had to deal with and, and are at the end of now that it's our final Sunday together in 2020, I wanted to share something that hopefully will both challenge and encourage each one of us. And the Lord has 
put a passage of Scripture on my heart that, that I hope will do both of those things, that as we look at it, there will be a challenge in us of, of how to properly respond to the kind of year that we've had, but also that there would be an encouragement within it as well. And we're going to be looking at the beginning of John chapter 6. And in this chapter, the disciples, they're faced with an impossible situation of feeding thousands of people when they're in a place where there's really no food to be gotten. And we typically consider a situation impossible when we don't personally have the ability to change it or to fix it or to overcome it in our own strength, in our own ability. When we're in that kind of situation, those are the kind of thoughts, well, this is impossible, at least for me, to be able to deal with that. And I'm sure that each one of us have had a lot of those thoughts a lot of those impossible situations as we look back on 2020 where we think, you know what, this circumstance, this individual, this situation, you know, I personally didn't have what it was needed to fix it, to change it, to overcome it. And this is what we're going to see with the disciples as well. As we look here in John chapter 6, they're in a situation where personally, really, they don't have what it takes to meet the need that's in front of them, to, to meet the impossible situation that they're in. And so we're going to see how they respond. When they're put in this situation where this impossible situation is before them, how are they going to respond to that? And it's going to be a great lesson for us as we look at, well, how should we respond? As we've been going through all these different things in 220 and all these difficult trials and hardships and struggles, you know, how have we been responding and how should we be responding to these situations? And something that we're going to note here that I think is important for us is, you know, one of the blessings and hopefully we're looking for that because when you're going through something really difficult, you know, you want to ask yourself, well, what's What's the blessing in this? Well, what can I take from this that's positive? Because I just had this kind of negative mindset of it's so bad and hard and difficult. And, and it's easy to kind of go down that road of all the, the negativity that comes through a, a year like this with all that's added to it. But to really look and say, well, what's something positive? What's a blessing that I can take from something like this? And typically there's always lessons to be learned. A lesson to be learned that can help you and I grow, grow in our relationship with God, grow spiritually, grow in our understanding of who he is and grow in our understanding of who we are. And so when you have situations like this, there's typically something that we can learn as we go through these struggles. And that's something that we're going to see with the disciples this morning. When they face this impossible situation, really, it's going to be a time of testing and learning for them. And we're going to specifically see that that's what Jesus is intending it to be. He wants to teach them a lesson in all of this so that they can walk away having learned something very important about Jesus, something very important about themselves. And so when they encounter something like it again in the future, they will hopefully be much better at responding to it in the proper way. But you know, something that we're going to see is that the disciples fail this test that Jesus places before them. They're going to respond in the wrong way. But even though the disciples fail the test, the lessons are still there. You know, you can learn lessons whether you succeed or whether you fail. 
And this is the encouragement for us as we look back on 2020, because I'm sure that we can look back at many times where we would say, you know what, I failed to respond the way that God would want me to in that situation with that individual over here and over there. You know, I'm sure if we were real honest and we just kind of look back and examine this last year, there'd be many opportunities that we said we blew it. We didn't respond the way that we should. But the good thing is, even in those failures, there are lessons to be learned. You don't just have to do things right to walk away and say, oh, I learned something. Actually, oftentimes we learn more in failure when we've done it wrong. And those are sometimes the things that stick with us more so that the next time that we face that, hopefully we'll respond the right way as opposed to the wrong way that we did in the past. So one of the main things I want us to be encouraged by as we look at what the disciples do this morning is that even as we look at our own failures in 2020, just be encouraged by the fact that you can learn from those mistakes so that as we move into 2021, hopefully we can do much better. Well, the beginning of John chapter 6 is going to set the stage for this situation that's really impossible that the disciples are faced with. And so let's see what it says in verses 1 through 3. After these things, Jesus went over the Sea of Galilee, which is the Sea of Tiberias. Then a great multitude followed him because they saw his signs, which he performed on those who were diseased. And Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat with his disciples. So Jesus goes over the Sea of Galilee with his disciples, and we're told this great multitude of people, they follow Jesus and his disciples. Now here is a picture of Galilee from the east side, and so Jesus and his disciples are sailing over it, and they go to the Bethsaida Plain, which is located there on the right, and here is a close-up picture of the Bethsaida Plain, and in the background you have the Sea of Galilee, and the Gospels tell us that this area was a deserted place, and the importance of that detail is the fact that, well, there's really nothing to eat there, Uh, and it really, as you can see, it hasn't changed much, it's still a deserted place even to this day. And so it's in this deserted place where the disciples encounter this impossible and very difficult situation. They just sailed over the Sea of Galilee. And the Gospels also tell us they're actually going to get away. They've been doing this ministry. Jesus sent them out by twos. And it's kind of this time as a retreat to get away. And they're excited to just be with Jesus and share with what Jesus what has happened. And now this huge multitude kind of interrupts this time that they were hoping to have. And the reason that the multitude is following Jesus is because they have seen Jesus heal people. And so they're bringing all these people, these loved ones, these friends. Hey, we need Jesus to touch myself or my family member or my friend. And so they're bringing these people to Jesus. Now we're told that Jesus went up on the mountain and there he sat with his disciples. And this picture really shows the highest point there in Bethsaida. And so it's very likely that this is the point where Jesus went with his disciples and sat down. And something important for us to note before we get into this is that the disciples have been with Jesus now for a bit of time. And in this time, they have seen Jesus do all sorts of miraculous things. And something else to note is that Mark's gospel and Luke's gospel tells us that Jesus has just sent them out two by two to cast out demons, 
to do miracles of their own, to preach about the kingdom of God. And so not only have they seen Jesus do miracles, they have experienced Jesus working through themselves to do miracles as well. And so I want you to note as the disciples come to this new impossible situation, it's not the first time that they face an impossible situation. It's not the first time that they've been in a situation like this. They have been in many of these things and they have seen Jesus do the impossible in these situations before. And they have even just experienced Jesus doing some impossible things in and through them. And this is good for us as well, because you know what? When each one of us have seen Jesus do impossible things, you know, the greatest miracle that there is, is that God takes us from darkness to light, that he saves us from all eternity in hell. And we have seen that miracle and we've seen other things that Jesus has done in our lives and he has included us in those things. And so we, like the disciples, when we're coming to impossible situations, it's not the first one. It's not the first time that we've encountered something where it just seems overwhelming to us. I'm sure each one of us have had many of those encounters. And so we have a lot in common with these disciples. Now you would think that after everything the disciples have experienced, all the things that they have seen Jesus do, all the people they've seen Jesus heal, all the miracles they've seen Jesus do, and the things that Jesus has done through them, that they would now be at a place where it would not be difficult to trust Jesus with this new impossible situation. It's like, well, Jesus, we saw you do this and this and this and this. And so here's just another thing in the line of things that we've seen you do. And so we trust that you'll handle this as well. You know, that would be the assumption. And that would probably be the assumption that that maybe we would have about ourselves is that with all the things that we've seen that Jesus has done in our own lives and all the ways that he has uh, provided for us and worked in us, that when we come to this new difficult situation or new impossible situation, that it wouldn't be difficult to trust Jesus with that. But we're going to see with the disciples, and I think something that we see with us as well, is that, you know what, even though in the past Jesus has been faithful, even though in the past we've seen him do miracles, and we've seen him work through impossible situations, when that new situation comes, we often typically struggle to trust Jesus with it. And that's something we're going to see with the disciples, and I think it's super relatable to this year. I'm sure that you can look back on 2020 and there have been times in this year where you would say, you know what, I've been through similar things or maybe not quite as bad, but I can look in the 2019 and 18 and 17 and 16 and I can see all these times that Jesus came through for me, but now as I encountered something this year... I struggled trusting that he would be there. I struggled trusting that he could provide. I struggled trusting that he could get me through it or or, or whatever it may be. You know, in my own personal life, I can look back and just see so many times where God has provided, where God has done miraculous things. He's never let me down. But you know what? I can be in that same boat. This year, there's been things where I've struggled with trusting the Lord the way that I know I should in the midst of things that I have had to deal with, just like you have had to deal with during this difficult year. You know, during 
This whole year I've been reading different statistics and the average church has decreased in tithes about 40%, uh, mainly because of job loss and, and so many different things that have happened uh, with the uh, lockdown especially. You know, and our church as well has uh, suffered uh, a significant decrease in tithes. And you know, when you're a pastor and your salary is connected to that and also you know, when the things that you want to see happening with the church, some of that is connected with tithes, you know, that can be a little bit of a blow. If you remember, right before the pandemic started, you know, we shared about several different things that we wanted to see the Lord do this year. But one of those things was we were really hoping to be able to move into our own facility and we're going to use some savings. And uh, we had just a plan for how we were going to move forward with that. But, you know, with the decrease in ties because of everything that was happening, you know, that kind of had to be put on the back burner for now. I personally taken a cut in salary uh, due to decreases in ties. And, you know, so... I've seen the Lord provide so many times in the past, but this, this year, it's like, all right, God, what are you doing? You know, I, I have to re-trust him with these things. And I struggled with providing for my family, providing for the needs of this church. And, you know, as I look back, it's like, I have no reason for that. You know, God's track record for providing for my family has always been perfect. His track record for providing for any church that I've ever pastored has always been perfect. And it's kind of interesting how we can see God always come through, but yet when we're encountering something new, there's that tendency to be like, oh, I don't know if I can trust you with this new thing that I'm dealing with. And so we're going to see here with the disciples this reality, and maybe you can relate and look back on 2020 and say, yeah, there have been times that I have struggled trusting the Lord, even though he's always come through for me. Well, let's see how the disciples respond to this new impossible situation and what we can learn. Now, the first response we're going to see is actually from Mark's gospel, chapter 6, verses 35 and 36, and we're told this. When the day was now far spent, his disciples came to Jesus and said, This is a deserted place, and already the hour is late. Send them away that they may go into the surrounding country and villages and buy themselves bread, for they have nothing to eat. So the impossible situation that the disciples find themselves in is now this huge multitude of people is there in this deserted place. It's late in the evening. It's past dinner time. People are hungry and they don't have any way to feed all of these people. Now, John's gospel tells us there's 5,000 men. That's not including women and children. So there could have been 10, 15, even 20,000 people that are there uh, in Bethsaida on that mountain. And so this is the impossible situation. How do we feed these tens of thousands of people? Now, the disciples are going to respond in three different ways to this impossible situation. And unfortunately, each one of their responses is going to be a wrong response, but they're going to be an example anyway. Uh, there's lots of examples in the Bible. Some of our, uh, those examples are examples of what we should do. And then in this instance, it's an example of what we should not do. And notice the first way the disciples respond is they ask Jesus to send the multitude away. Jesus, if you just get rid of the multitude, we don't have to worry about feeding them because they can go find their own meal as they leave this place. Just get rid of the multitude and we'll get rid of the impossible situation. 
So the first wrong way the disciples respond to this impossible situation is they ask Jesus to get rid of the impossible situation instead of asking Jesus to get them through it. I'm sure as you look back on this crazy year of all these difficulties and hardships of 2020, that there have been times where you can relate to this kind of response, where you have asked or at least thought, you know what, if you'll just get rid of this particular thing, God, things will be so much better. Just get rid of the impossible situation, and man, that would be so nice for me. And maybe you have asked God to get rid of the virus, get rid of the lockdown, get rid of this particular politician or governor or mayor, uh, get rid of the people doing this thing or doing that thing. And, and our mindset is, hey, God, if you'll just get rid of that stuff, then, then I don't have to face this situation. Then the situation goes away and I don't have to deal with it. And I would prefer that. Now we're going to see that Jesus does not get rid of the hungry people who are causing this impossible situation. Instead, Jesus is going to do a miraculous thing and he's going to meet the impossible need that is there before the disciples. And as you look through the scriptures, you know, this is really the most common response from God to our impossible situations. You know, we like to kind of highlight when God removes people out of certain circumstances and situations, and that sometimes happens, but really that's more of the exception than the rule. The most common thing that God does is not to pull you away from difficulty, but to say, I'll get you through it. Yeah, I'm not going to remove this hardship. I'm actually just going to walk with you through it so that you can learn and you can grow. And this is something that I'm going to do. And that's just kind of the typical way in which God works. And so if your typical response is, Lord, just get rid of this person, get rid of this situation, get rid of this thing, you're probably going to be disappointed in the fact that a lot of those prayers are not going to be answered the way in which you would like them to be answered. Instead, I think our hearts should be, Lord, just help me through this. I'm facing this struggle or this person or this circumstance, and I just want you to help me get through the things that are so difficult in my life right now. Well, let's see the second wrong way the disciples respond in verses 4 through 7. Now the Passover, a feast of the Jews, was near. Then Jesus lifted up his eyes and seeing a great multitude coming toward him, he said to Philip, Where shall we buy bread that these may eat? But this he said to test him, for he himself knew what he would do. Philip answered him, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. So the disciples, they're faced with this impossible situation. And notice what Jesus does. He comes to Philip, one of the disciples, and he asks Philip an important question. He says, where shall we buy bread that these may eat? Now, you might think, well, why direct that specifically towards Philip? Why not just have a a general question to all 12 disciples? Uh, And I think there's just a practical, likely scenario to this, the Gospels tell us this is where Philip was from. This is his hometown. And so it makes sense. If anyone would know where to buy bread, it would be a guy who's actually from this area. And so, hey, Philip, you're from this area. Where should we buy bread that all these people could eat? Now, notice verse 6 because it reveals something very important about this question from Jesus. But he said this to test Philip, for he himself knew what he would do. Jesus' question for Philip was a test. 
It was a test to see how are you going to respond, Philip, to this question and this situation that we find ourselves in. And notice Jesus knows what he's going to do. He already knows what's going to happen. He knows what he's going to do. So the question isn't like, I'm not sure what I'm going to do here. And, and maybe, Philip, you'll give me some, some guidance and a good answer. And then I'll, I'll maybe go down that road. He, he has a, a full understanding of what he's about to do. This question is for Philip in order to test him and help him learn something very important. But note this. This test isn't to reveal something to Jesus about Philip. Jesus isn't like, hmm, I'm wondering what Philip's thinking right now. I'm wondering how Philip's going to answer this question. And so, hey, you know what? I'm going to ask him, and then I'm going to get an idea of where Philip's at here. Jesus knew everything. He knew exactly what Philip was going to say. So this question isn't about Jesus trying to find information uh, from Philip to learn something about Philip. This question was for Philip to learn something about Jesus. This test was for Philip's benefit it was for Philip's learning. It was not for Jesus' benefit or for Jesus' learning. You know, there was an older couple that had a son in their 30s. He was still living at home. And, you know, they started to get worried about, you know, would their son stay home for a long time? And, and you know, kind of what would he decide about his future life and career? And so the father decided to, to do a test. Now, I'm going to do a test that's going to discover the future career of my son. And so he, he put a note for his son on the kitchen table. And, and with the note, he put a $100 bill. And next to that, he put a Bible. And next to that, he put a bottle of whiskey. And then he and his wife hid, pretending they were not at home. And then he told his wife, if our son takes the money, he's going to be a businessman. If he takes the Bible, he's going to be a pastor. And if he takes the bottle of whiskey, I'm afraid our son's going to be a no-good drunkard. So they hide in this nearby closet, waiting for their son to come home to discover from their test what their son's ultimately going to be in the future. And so the son arrives home, he reads the note, he takes the $100 bill, he puts it up into the light, makes sure it's real, puts it in his pocket, he opens the Bible, flips through it, puts it under his arm, and then grabs a bottle of whiskey, opens it up, takes a swig of it, and takes all three of the things and walks out of the room. The father slaps his head, says, this is worse than I could have ever imagined. His wife says, what? He says, our son's going to be a politician. <laughs> a good story with the way politics are right now, but I bring that up because the story represents this idea that the parents are trying to test the, the son to try to discover something about their son, but that is not what Jesus is doing when he gives us a test. He's not trying to discover something about us. He's trying to help us discover something about him. So when Jesus gives this test to Philip, it's a test to help Philip learn something about Jesus. And I'm confident that throughout 2020 that, you know what, you might not have even recognized it, but as you go through some of those difficulties and hardships, Jesus is saying, you know what, here's a test for you. I I'm allowing this because I want you to learn some things about me through it. Well, let's see how Philip responds to this test in verse 7. Philip answered Jesus, 200 denarii worth of bread is not sufficient for them that every one of them may have a little. Now remember the question, Philip, where should we go that we might buy bread that these may eat? 
And Philip's answer is ultimately, it doesn't matter what place we go to buy bread, Jesus. Why? Because we don't have enough money to get food for 10, 15, 20,000 people. Jesus tests Philip in this impossible situation, and Philip fails the test. And the reason that Philip fails the test is because Philip is looking to money instead of to Jesus to solve the impossible situation. David Guzik wrote this, Philip might have said, Master, I don't know where the food is to feed this crowd, but you are greater than Moses, whom God used to feed a multitude every day in the wilderness, and God can certainly do a lesser work through a greater servant. You are greater than Elisha, whom God used to feed many sons of the prophets through little food. What is more, the scriptures say, that man shall not live by bread alone, and you are great enough to fill this multitude from the words of your mouth. So you know what? There are several things like this example that David Guzik gives of what Philip could have said that would have been a good response. And really all of them would come back to the fact that Jesus can take care of any impossible situation. If his answer you know, led to that conclusion that Jesus could take care of this, then it would have been a good answer. But unfortunately... He wasn't looking to Jesus to solve the problem. He was looking to money. So the second wrong way that the disciples respond to their impossible situation is they look to something in this world instead of looking to Jesus to take care of the impossible situation. You know, I think this is another thing where if we look back on 2020 that we could say, you know, here's something that I have been guilty of. Instead of looking to Jesus to meet the need, instead of looking to Jesus to help me through the problem, instead of looking to Jesus to to do what only He can do, the impossible, I look to something in this world or some person in this world in order to meet that need that only Jesus can meet. And you know, I'm sure a lot of people like Philip look to money to meet their impossible needs this year. And that didn't work out so well. When the pandemic hit and people started losing their jobs and the you know, stock market took a hit and, and the economy took a hit, you know, people who were trusted in money, they had some issues with that. Other people probably looked to politicians to meet their impossible needs, as crazy as that might sound, and they got let down with that. Other people looked to friends and family, but you know what, even friends and family who love us, you know, they don't have all the power and the ability to meet all the needs that we face. There's only one who can meet our impossible need, and that is Jesus. And so whenever we look to something in this world, look to something other than to Jesus to meet our need, we're always going to be left unsatisfied. Because the need can't be met by those people or those things in this world. They have to be met by the only one who can do the impossible, and that is Jesus Christ. And so we need to come to Him if we truly want these needs to be met. So Philip failed the test he was given. But something important to note is that even in failing this test, Philip still can learn a great lesson. Because he's going to see how Jesus is going to respond. He's going to see something very important about who Jesus is and Jesus' ability to do the impossible. And hopefully next time that Philip's in a situation like this, the answer won't be, well, we don't have enough money. It'll be, hey, I remember last time, Jesus, you just did the miracle and I trust that you can do that again in my life, or in this situation. And I hope that encourages you because I know as I look back on 2020, I can see times where I failed the tests that God has given me. But the great thing is, you know what? 
there's still lessons to be learned. There's still things that I can take from those failures into this new year and hopefully respond much better than in some of those instances throughout 2020. So the disciples' first wrong response to their impossible situation is to ask Jesus, just get rid of the impossible situation instead of the right response would be, help me get through it. Their second wrong response is to look to something in this world to take away the impossible situation. The right response would be to look to Jesus to take care of the impossible situation. And now we're going to see the third response, and it's going to come from Andrew in verses 8 and 9. One of Jesus' disciples, Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, said to him, There is a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish, but what are they among so many? So all the disciples are there when Jesus poses the question to Philip. They hear the question. They hear Philip's answer. And now Andrew, as he's kind of listening, he kind of chimes in with another possible scenario. Like, well, well, we don't have the money to buy bread for everybody. But he almost has a great response. There's a lad here who has five barley loaves and two small fish. But what are they among so many? Hey, Jesus, here's what we got. There's this young boy here. He's got five loaves of bread. He's got two small fish. And if you would have stopped there, it would have been an amazing answer. Jesus, you could use that to feed thousands of people. But he stops and he says, but what is, what is that among so many? I mean, that wouldn't even feed us as disciples. You see, Andrew gave the wrong response to this impossible situation because he thought the little that he had to offer couldn't be used by Jesus to meet this impossible need. The third wrong way the disciples respond to their impossible situation is they thought that Jesus couldn't use the little they had to offer instead of realizing that Jesus can use anything they offered to meet the impossible situation. And this is probably one of those things as well as you look back on this year that you could say, I am guilty of this. That, you know, all of us have time, we have abilities and talents, we have resources and money. And the Lord, I'm sure, throughout this year has asked us to get involved in helping and doing and serving in, in different capacities. And, and, and maybe sometimes we think, <laughs> what good is that going to be? Lord, I got a little time here, but what is that in comparison to how big this situation is? You know, I do have some resources, but really, God, I mean, how are those minuscule resources going to do anything with this huge issue? Or, God, you know, I have this ability or this talent, but I mean, really, I mean, it's going to take a lot more than that in order for this need to be met. And so we kind of respond like Philip, like, yeah, I have something to offer, but it's so small in comparison to the need that we kind of just throw in that but of like, but, I mean, you couldn't really do anything with this, God. You couldn't really use what I have to offer and do something miraculous with it. You know, I've discovered when faced with impossible situations, we can be quite good at making excuses for why God can't use what we have to offer. We need to understand that God is able to use the little that we have to offer to do impossible things with it. He's able to take the little you have to offer and meet the needs 
of impossible situations. And the question that we really have to ask ourselves is, are we willing to say, Lord, here's what I have? Whether it's my time, whether it's my resources, whether it's my giftings or talents, we have to say, Lord, here's what I have. It might not be much, but I offer it to you, believing that you can do great things with it. Or will you respond like Andrew and say, yeah, Lord, I have these things, but what's that compared to this situation? Why should I even waste my time giving this to you, Lord? Because surely you can't use this in order to meet that big need. So the next time you're faced with an impossible situation and you see something that you can contribute, don't buy into the lie that you know, it's not worth it to give it to the Lord. It's not worth it to offer it to Him because you know, in your mind it's so small or insignificant. But recognize God can take the small insignificant things that we offer to Him like five loaves and two fish and He can do wonderful things, miraculous things with it. And I guarantee you'll be pleasantly surprised when you give God the little you have to offer. You know, over the years I've discovered that really what's important to God is not so much our ability, but our availability. And I know in my own life, and as a pastor, I've seen that with so many people. It's like, well, you know, I just can't serve in that way, or I just can't, you know, follow the Lord because I'm not able enough. I don't have enough ability within me, you know, to go preach the gospel or to go minister to this person or to go whatever it may be. And you know what? The reality is, look through the scriptures. I mean, how many super able people were there? It's not the ability of the individual that matters. It's the ability of God that matters. And God's able to take people with very little ability and say, you know what? Go! Just be faithful to go and watch what I do because I am the one with all the ability and it doesn't matter that you're lacking it because I can give you all that you need to accomplish what I'm calling you to do. And so we just need to remember that, that you know what, it's not about uh, my ability, it's about my availability. That if I will just say, God, here I am. I'm willing to be used. I know I'm not much. I know I might not have all the answers. I might, I have some issues in my life or whatever it is, but here I am available to you. If you want to do something through me, I give my life to you. Watch what he can do through someone who just makes himself available to him. So the first wrong response to this impossible situation from the disciples is they just went, want Jesus to get rid of the situation instead of asking Jesus to get them through it. The second wrong response is they're looking to things in this world instead of looking to Jesus to meet the impossible need. And the third wrong response is they're thinking that Jesus can't use the little they have to offer to meet the impossible need instead of realizing that Jesus can use anything we offer to meet an impossible need. So we've seen these three wrong ways that the disciples respond to this impossible situation. Now we're going to see how Jesus responds. And in this response, it's a great lesson for the disciples. And remember, this is a test. You know, Jesus sees what he's going to do. He knows it. And he's like, all right, here, guys, you're going to learn something today. And there's going to be something very important that you're going to walk away with as you experience what happens here. And so let's see how Jesus responds to this multitude of people hungry and in need of food. Then Jesus said, make the people sit down. Now there was much grass in the place, so the men sat down in number of about 5,000. And Jesus took the loaves, and when he had given thanks, he distributed them to the disciples, and the disciples to those sitting down, and likewise of the fish as much as they wanted. 
So when they were filled, he said to his disciples, gather up the fragments that remain so that nothing is lost. Therefore, they gathered them and filled 12 baskets with the fragments of the five barley loaves, which were left over by those who had eaten. So notice how Jesus responds to the circumstance that's impossible before him. As I mentioned, probably about 15,000, 20,000 hungry people. And what do they have at their disposal? Five pieces of bread and two small fish. Philip thinks we don't have enough money. Andrew thinks, well, that's surely not going to feed very many people. And Jesus says, all right, you know what? Have everybody sit down. And then he starts to miraculously multiply these five loaves and these two fish. And notice within all of this, Jesus does two things to help the disciples learn from this miracle. And I also think to remember this miracle for future circumstances like this that they would encounter. First, Jesus includes the disciples in the miracle. Notice, you guys make everybody sit down, and then I'm going to have you guys distribute all of this food. Now, if you've ever served people, you know, you just serve 100 people, that's a good amount of people. But, I mean, each disciple could have just served over 1,000 people themselves. And so this would have been a significant thing that Jesus like, I'm going to include you in this. And it's important because, you know, Jesus is doing a miracle here. He could have easily just miraculously provided, you know, bread and fish on their lap or in their bag. You know, he didn't have to have the disciples take it, walk it to them, hand it to them. You know, that was uh, not a necessary thing in order for the people to get fed. But Jesus felt it was necessary in order for the disciples to be a part of this so they could learn. And so he says, I'm going to include you guys in what I'm doing. And you are going to go and be a part of this miracle hopefully to help you learn from this experience. You know, and I've looked at my own life and you look at people throughout Scripture and you realize, you know, this is so often how God works. You know, many times I just wonder, God, why don't you just use angels? You know, why do you use so many screwed up people that seem to mess things up all the time? And I think the real reality is God has said, you know what? It's not just about getting the job done. It's about the process of helping people learn as I get the job done. And so I want to use people. I want to include them. Yeah, I'm sure I could do a lot more with angels than I could with a lot of the screw-ups that I use. But I'm using the screw-ups. I'm using the people who are failures. I'm using the people who are messed up. Why? Because through the process, they learn. Through the process, they grow. Through the process, they learn more about who I am and who they are and what I can accomplish through their life, even though they don't think I could, and all of a sudden I do, and there's a change in, in their perspective of how big I am and how much I can do through them. And so as you look back on 2020, I'm sure there have been times when the Lord has asked you to serve in different ways. And realize sometimes we don't like that. Sometimes it's kind of like, oh man, I'd rather do other things with my time or whatever. But you know, the Lord involves us so often for the purpose of helping us grow, helping us learn. And so we shouldn't despise those opportunities. We should look forward to God including us because he has many things to teach us, many ways to help us grow. So that's the first thing that Jesus does to kind of help the disciples learn and help the disciples remember. The second thing he does is he says, I want you to gather after it's all done all the uneaten fragments that remain. And notice we're told as they collect it, there's 12 baskets full. Well, there's 12 disciples. And each one of those disciples get a basket full of this bread. 
And this is a great reminder for them, because I'm sure that's something that they ate for the next several meals. As they're traveling for the next day, what do we got? Well, you got the bread in your basket. And as they eat that bread, it's a reminder of, wow, this is the miracle bread. I mean, I was there when that little boy fought, brought five pieces, and that was multiplied by thousands and thousands. There was so much bread that I have a whole basket, and Peter has a basket, and James has a basket, and, and everybody's got a basket of bread. And as they're going day, maybe a couple days after, who knows how big that basket was, eating this bread, reminding them of what Jesus did. Reminding them and letting it sink in. When I faced that impossible situation where I thought there was no way we could feed these people, look at what Jesus did above and beyond. They were so full that there was bread left over and we're carrying it around and we're eating it. And this is something I think is just so important as we look back, sometimes we, we get so focused on all the problems and the negative things that we miss. Man, Jesus has things that he wants us to remember. And as he does things, as he takes us through things, as he, as he provides for us, that we would just kind of hold on to that, that we would remember that. Why? Because the next time that we come into a circumstance like that, it's so good to say, oh, I remember that basket of food I ate for a week. And it all connects to the fact that Jesus did that amazing miracle. And so I trust that he can do one here. And that's the struggle that, you know, I think we have a, a short memory that when we come to a new impossible thing that we kind of struggle trusting Jesus because if our memory was strong, well, Lord, you, you came through here and here and here and here and here. And as we start to just dwell upon that, surely it's a lot easier to say, well, I think you'll come through again. I think you'll provide here. I think you'll help me here. I think you'll keep me safe here. Because you've continued to prove yourself faithful in the past. You know, I think one of our big problems is that we place our limitations on God. And so when we encounter an impossible situation, we often respond by thinking, if it's impossible for me, it must be impossible for God. If COVID and the lockdowns and the political turmoil and the civil unrest and the racial tensions are impossible for, for me to fix, are impossible for me to ultimately change, we think, well, it must be impossible for God to fix. It must be impossible for, for God to do some work of change in those things. But that's not true. Nothing's impossible for God. It's true that there's plenty of things impossible for us. As we look at all that's going on, yeah, there's plenty of times where we think, man, I can't change this. I can't make the impact I would love to because I don't have the ability. Yeah, that's true. But don't push that onto God to think, well, then surely he can't. Because nothing is impossible for him. And that's an important lesson that I think the disciples learned. They thought, man, there's no way we're feeding these people. And all of a sudden they're fed. And they realize, man, Jesus can do some impossible things. And it took a while. You know, they, they had to go through a lot of miracles, and they still struggled, just kind of like you and I. Jesus does this and this and this, and we, we still struggle. But each time, hopefully, we're getting more confidence in the work that Jesus can do. So as you continue to be faced with impossible situations, with all the crazy things going on in our world right now, I encourage you to respond by looking to Jesus to meet your impossible need, recognizing He's the only one who truly can. Do not respond by trying to say, Lord, just, just remove it. Get rid of it. 
Don't look to something in the world to solve it. And don't think Jesus can't use the little you have to offer to meet that need. Ultimately, just look to Jesus. Recognize He can do the impossible. And the crazy thing is, He can do it through you and through me. You know, 2020 has been really difficult. And I know so many people are like, oh, it's finally coming to an end. So great. But you know, we have no you know, uh, evidence to believe that 2021 is going to be so much greater. And I don't say that to be a downer. I just say that, you know what? It doesn't matter for us. Because the bottom line is, we got the same God in 2020 as we do in 2021, who's there for us, who can help us meet whatever situations come. It'd be nice if it was a better year than this one. But even if it's not, we have hope. We don't need to be hopeless because we have the one who can get us through whatever we face. And so I hope that you're encouraged as we end this year, moving into a new one, but hopefully also that you would be thinking about how you have responded and in those ways that you've responded poorly to learn from those and that each one of us can hopefully respond better coming into this new year. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful that you, you never leave us or forsake us, that you give to us the strength and the power the peace, the comfort, the wisdom. Lord, whatever it is that we need as we face the trials and the difficulties and the struggles that life brings our way, Lord, you are there to walk through those things with us and you are there to give us what we need to get through it. And, and we are so thankful for that. We are thankful that you love us more than we can comprehend. And God, I just pray that you would just help us to Reflect upon this year in a way that we would see your handiwork, see how you have come through for us, and hopefully see the lessons that you would want us to learn. See the areas that we have failed to respond the way that you would want us to, but that you would show us the right way so that the next time we face those types of things, that you would help us to respond differently. Lord, we know that we're all a work in progress, and we're so thankful that that you have begun a good work in us, are going to be faithful to complete it until the day that you return for us or we die. And so we're grateful that the sanctification process is something that you continue to do in our lives. And so we just ask that today, tomorrow, this week, Lord, just help us grow to become more like you. Help us to see the areas that you want to change, the areas of growth, the areas that you want to work on, the things in our life that you want to get rid of, so that we can be more like Jesus Christ. And so we're just grateful for this final Sunday in 2020 just to be together as a church family. And we're so grateful, Lord, that you are with us every step of the way with everything that we go through. We thank you for that. We praise you for that. And we ask, Lord, that you would just help us be that light and that ambassador and, and what you've called us to be in a more powerful way as we come into this new year. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.